This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. My Slate colleague, Natish Pawa, was in the courtroom when the verdict came down that Sam Bankman-Fried was guilty. It was truly so silent, so tense. It was packed fully. A lot of us uh, in the benches directly behind SBF and the counsel and the um, assistant U.S. attorneys, a lot of other observers off to the side, including his parents, but everyone was just staring straight ahead, just waiting for the moments when the jury forewoman would confirm on the counts. And wow, the judge had told us beforehand, you know, don't react, you know, no, no rushing toward doors, no like, you know, acting out of line or anything. And, you know, everyone to their credit did, did exactly that. But you could definitely get the sense that everyone was like reacting, head swiveling, like, oh my God. Could you see him or could you see his parents? We could not see him personally. Well, I mean, I could see him just from behind, so couldn't really see his face. But we could see his parents next to us. And in fact, a lot of people, as the charges were landing individually, you know, guilty, guilty, guilty. A lot of people turned right to see where his parents were sitting. From where I was at, it was hard to see what um, Joe Bankman was looking like, but Barbara Freed was, as I wrote from my dispatch, she had her hand pressed very tightly to her eyes. Her glasses had been pushed up. I mean, she clearly, clearly was about to, you know, start sobbing at any minute. I mean, I definitely was not like trying to gawk at her or Joe by any means, but like I stole, you know, just occasional glances over there, see what other people were looking like. And yeah, I think she was doing everything in her power to hold it together. And it was pretty shattering to see. Her son was found guilty on seven charges of wire fraud, conspiracy, and money laundering. Sam Bankman-Fried perpetrated one of the biggest financial frauds in American history, a multi-billion dollar scheme designed to make him the king of crypto. But here's the thing, the, crypto, the cryptocurrency industry might be new. The players like Sam Bankman-Fried might be new. But this kind of fraud, this kind of corruption is as old as time and we have no patience for it. A spectacular fall for the man who had once been the disheveled face of crypto. Today on the show, almost a year ago, FTX filed for bankruptcy. Now its founder is facing more than 100 years in prison. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Can you back up and just remind people who haven't been following this bit by bit, as you have, what Sam Bankman-Fried was charged with and now convicted of? In this trial, SBF was facing seven criminal charges. Those were two counts of wire fraud as applied to both um, FTX customers and uh, lenders to his crypto hedge fund, Alameda Research. There were four uh, conspiracy counts regarding wire fraud, commodities fraud, securities fraud. These also applied to FTX and Alameda in different regards. The commodities fraud involved the trades of things like Bitcoin and Ethereum on FTX and then their misappropriation by SBF himself. The securities fraud related to those who had invested in FTX under what we can now say are false pretenses. And then the conspiracies for wire fraud in both businesses were that he'd worked with others as they testified. Um, His lieutenants, Nishad Singh, Caroline Ellison, Gary Wong, all worked with him to carry these out. And then the final charge was on um, money laundering. And this is why, in particular, this case was tried in the Southern District of New York, because many of the funds like bandied about were routed through Manhattan-based institutions like uh, Signature Bank, which, of course, fell earlier this year, and Wells Fargo and others. And in terms of how the trial unfolded, what did the prosecution allege, or I guess, what were their main lines of argument? The prosecution, the way they came about this was, look, this is a very complex and jargon-heavy industry with a lot of technical details. But at the core, what happened here was Sam Bankman-Fried stole money. Specifically, he represented his company, FTX, the digital exchange, as a trustworthy place to spend your money, to trade cryptocurrencies, or to make bets on the market. And he lavished a lot of money on advertising and other statements to the public, to Congress, to the Super Bowl. 
about basically how he was running a very safe place where customers could put in this money for trading and storage without worrying about it being lost or inappropriately held when all along Spankman Fried was using his other business, um, Alameda Research, as a repository for the money both from FTX customers and investors. And then as that added up to billions and billions of dollars, using that to splurge on all sorts of things like Bahamian real estate, high-profile advertising, political donations, and even uh, paying back lenders who initially gave money to Alameda Research to get it off the ground and keep it afloat. As this kept going on, Sam just kept lying, kept funneling money to Alameda, kept telling people everything was okay until he just couldn't anymore. And then once uh, his theft was revealed, then he started saying, I didn't do it. Wasn't me. I didn't really know. But the government was straight up like, I mean, at least on two occasions, they said, give me a break. Like, and they showed a lot of contemporaneous documents, you know, messages, Google metadata from certain spreadsheets and other just like um, calculations and documents over time that show that not only Bankman Freed was aware that a lot of money was going to where it shouldn't have been, but that he more often than not signed off on funneling this money elsewhere and splurging it elsewhere and losing it and, in essence, just playing hooky with his customers. The government also presented a parade of witnesses who had worked with him in the past and were pretty damning. Caroline Ellison, Gary Wong, Nishat Singh. What do you think was the most damning testimony? I definitely think it was Caroline Ellison's. And not just because she was the most anticipated witness, not just because she's like basically the second most closely watched character in this entire saga of intrigue. But I mean, she was on the stand for three days and she went through a litany of um, different charges and things that she said Sam had told her to do. She could speak from her capacity as a former CEO of Alameda Research, someone who had been appointed by Sam to take over his hedge fund and yet continue to work directly with him, even though he said he'd be backing away from Alameda when running FTX. She could speak to the fake balance sheets she cooked up for him, the different ways they um, misrepresented certain assets and then sent those tabulations off to investors and others. And she could also speak as in her capacity as SBF's ex-girlfriend, someone who knew him more deeply, more intimately than most, someone who, like, you know, dealt with him at his worst and someone who made the most of the moment, even as like things were clearly going awry. I think it was really clinched at a couple things. One, they uh, eventually, they meaning the prosecution, 
released the tape of the all hands meeting that Caroline Ellison held with her Alameda staff when uh, things with FTX and Alameda began to go awry in November of 2022, and where she was already telling her staff, you know, way before any like government investigation or persecution, that like, yeah, there was a lot of money mishandled deliberately. And Sam was directing a lot of it. Hmm. And the second moment, I think, was also when um, she spoke to that November week personally from the stand. You know, she was crying and saying, I knew what was going on was wrong. Like, you know, I held it inside me for a while. And when I said uh, to Sam in messages that were then exhibited to us that, I was kind of relieved this was all being exposed. What I was saying was that I was basically happy to have the weight off me that I didn't have to hide all this anymore. In reality, that was like the worst week of my life. I, you know, was seeing everything falling apart. And not only that, just like despite knowing what I was doing was wrong and despite still like trusting Sam to figure out a way to like wiggle through it, you know, it was finally coming apart at the seams and everything was going to change. And I think that along with, I mean, other people in Sam's direct orbit, you know, talking about things that, you know, Sam had said to them at the moment that he would try to later say to the public or speaking to certain documents they worked on that Sam had tried to deny that he had any knowledge of only for it to be shown pretty substantively that he did have knowledge of them. Like, I think just all that added up to show, yeah, this guy, at the very least, this guy directed a lot of criminality. At most, he did a lot of it hands-on. The defense, as you and I have discussed before, um, didn't feel like much until he took the stand. Could you describe their strategy and I guess why Sam Bankman-Fried himself testified? It's so interesting. Um, So our colleague Alex Kirshner just uh, wrote a piece about this after talking with some other lawyers. I, I think this has been a pretty common trend in coverage. A lot of reporters calling up like other experts or other people with experience in these types of criminal cases like, okay, what is going on here? What is Mark Cohen, a very celebrated and well-known attorney, what is he doing here? You know, a lot of this seems to be just he's saying, oh, the government did some deals. Oh, um, Sam was working really hard. Oh, honestly, there's nothing wrong with that that sort of thing. But I think what Kirshner made pretty clear in his piece is that really there was nothing else the defense could do. Hmm. There was so, so much overwhelming evidence against Sam already that they must have been aware of from jump. And as I noted in my own like piece about what the heck is the defense trying to do here, Sam as we know from the past year of his like filibustering to the press and um, comments both filtered and unfiltered to friends and others, 
that this guy hates lawyers, does not like listening to them, is not super willing to like take their advice because he thinks he can figure out a way forward. So I think Cohen and his other lieutenants here, they had the task of not only trying to present some sort of coherent, um, sensible defense against uh, the overwhelming evidence against Sam Bankman-Fried, but they also had to deal with his impetuousness. They also had to deal with what he was saying was like, you know, his continued narrative. I didn't do it. Wasn't me. I didn't know. Which like, I, I, I think literally zero people believe. And they also then had to deal with all the other issues that arose with that. Like when Sam was um, accused by the judge of you know, attempting to unduly contact uh, and tamper with uh, witnesses like Caroline that was then thrown behind bars. And then there was a whole new workload added there of Cohen and co trying to, you know, figure out and work with Sam in the jail situation and, you know, ask the judge about certain accommodations. They really, really, really had so much to handle here. And I mean, they were paid to do this. They obviously didn't have to do it. They were paid a lot of money to take on Sam's case. But I think they understood from jump that this was going to be a very tough one. So they tried to appeal to just like very simple overgeneralizations, basically, to try to make a case that Sam was just um, acting as any businessman might, and uh, people were losing sight of his actual business integrity and genius here. That, of course, wasn't convincing, but they gave it what they got. When we come back, how it all fell apart for SBF. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, I think it's pretty stunning if we were to rewind just about a year ago, FTX was still a behemoth. Sam was out there with his, you know, wild hair, his T-shirts and shorts, giving interviews. Um, And then crypto prices started to tumble and Coindesk published a leaked balance sheet from Alameda Research, basically showing it was a house of cards. I wonder 
what you think looking back a year on how all of this unraveled. I mean, it it's pretty stunning. I still remember the moment for me, like seeing all this unravel, like for real, for real, the moment when uh, I think for everyone, it's sunk that FTX was completely screwed, which was when um, Binance, the rival crypto exchange that had originally invested a bit in FTX and then later said, all, and then whose CEO, Chang Pen Zhao, pretty much all but said, yeah, um, we don't really have much trust in uh, FTX after this balance sheet report. Yeah, he basically looked under the hood and was like, yeah, no thanks, I take it back. Right, exactly. But then it was announced, I think, literally the night of the midterms that Binance would perhaps uh, come in and settle a deal that could, you know, swallow up and save FTX. And I remember just like trying to type this out and explain it to a lay audience as rapidly as I could. While the midterms themselves, the polls were closing, early results were coming in, and then I was turning my attention to also to Slate's midterms live log around then. So I was like kind of following both trends at once. And of course, both are very connected trends, not least because FTX and Sam were well known for courting and donating to political figures. So it was all really overwhelming. I mean, I personally have always been a little skeptical of SBF, even when he was at the peak of like his hero altruist image. But I never, ever expected that it would just take one leak and one tweet from a competitor to shoot all of it down to near zero. Like, that is a wild, wild, rapid downfall of something once, like, valued as one of the most, like, innovative, valuable enterprises in the entire world. That just does not happen. It just shows you how rickety this whole thing really was for years at that point. Another crypto reporter made a very good point to me when we were talking at one point in the trial that, you know, Binance itself now has been the subject of quite a few journalistic investigations, is also facing charges from federal regulators, and, you know, bits of the business have suffered. But the whole thing has not just come like tumbling down and come forced to file for bankruptcy yet. But that's exactly what happened to FTX during that week in November, which I think is just really revealing as to how fake the whole thing was. What does the rest of the crypto industry do with this verdict, with this trial? Uh, you know, they have tried hard to distance themselves from Sam Bankman-Fried and from FTX. But there's no way this doesn't cast some type of shadow across the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as I um, discussed in my own pieces about this, you know, there have been a lot of people who work in the crypto industry just in general who've been showing up to this thing out of their own curiosity to see what goes on here, what happens to Sam. 
this is definitely a massive, massive blow to the industry just overall. No matter what you think, no matter where you are in your terms of your stance on crypto, like this is an industry whose biggest like upfront figure was Sam Bankman Fried for a long time. He played that game. He went into these cryptocurrencies. He looked at the existing businesses here. He built his own alternatives to them. And he managed to rack up, you know, so, so many customers. And all the while, I mean, he was like saying that, oh, you know, a lot of these other crypto companies are scams. And there were all sorts of exposés coming out all the time about, you know, places like Celsius, um, the collapse of places like Three Arrows Capital, and so on. You know, just these very, like, yeah. you know, classically, like, rich and thick uh, scam stories there. He was presenting himself, SBF, as the trustworthy guy. And now that even the trustworthy guy has gone down, what is there left among the major exchanges? I mean, Coinbase and Binance are also facing federal charges now. There's all sorts of extra scrutiny here. Sam's preferred mode of a crypto regulation in terms of a federal legislation has been completely stalled in um, the halls of Congress. The once perhaps sympathetic lawmakers and regulators whose ear he had they are no longer so sympathetic and I'm sure are just like fully like trying to make sense of how bad the industry is. And ultimately, this also just represents an end to this idealistic vision of crypto. You know, if there was someone who was trying to use this industry and say he was using it ultimately for good to use on social causes to contribute to you know, certain charities and to certain organizations and to, uh, you know, raise up enough money for the betterment of humanity. It was Sam. And now that that's all revealed to be a farce, I mean, what what else is there? A lot of the other major crypto businesses are not so, you know, supposedly altruistic and philanthropic. A lot of arms of the crypto industry depended so much on FTX as evidenced by the fact that when it crashed, so many other places lost a ton of money or themselves just fully imploded as well. Like with this verdict, I mean, there's fully removed doubt that anything Sam was doing was, you know, just uh, the course of doing business or just like something incidental. It's like, no, here is the biggest, once most trusted crypto firm probably in the world that was also just revealed as a house of cards. What does that say about the rest of your industry? What happens now? He faces more than 100 years in prison. When do we find out what the sentence is? The judge said that we should be getting a sentencing hearing in late March. March is also the month when we are supposed to be getting another trial for Bankman-Fried on a couple charges that were not included in this round. 
And those involve um, the allegations of foreign bribery, specifically of uh, Chinese officials. The attorneys who were involved in this case from both the government's end and the defense's end will be, uh, I think, um, addressing these uh, particular charges as well. I think they're going to try to figure out whether, you know, they'll even move forward with these uh, trials, considering that Sam is already facing potentially a very, very lengthy sentence. But we won't know all that for a while yet. There's still a few more months to go. But there are still many, many threads here that have yet to be unveiled. And I am hoping at the very least that future um, litigatory processes can get us closer to closure on those topics as well. Natish Pawa, thank you so much for your coverage, and I hope you get to go take a nap. (laughs) Thank you so much. I will do so now. Natish Pawa covers business and tech for Slate. And that is it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we will be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.